Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fort Wayne Local Podcast. I'm your host, Jake McAfee. Today, we're joined by our first repeat guest, Drew Wired. Drew, how you doing? I'm good, man. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah. Either either you're a very special guy or no one else will talk to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're running out of cool kids to hang out with. <laughs> we'll let the listeners decide that. So sure. Drew was a guest on episode seven. In that episode, um, we went into a little bit more detail about who he is, um, the Fort Wayne RIA, some things like that. So if you want to check that out, episode seven, we talked about the Fort Wayne market. Um, but Drew is the market clinical pharmacy director for Lutheran Health. Uh, he's an active investor in buy and hold, multifamily, flipping, wholesaling, apartment syndication. Um, he's the founder and host of the Fort Wayne Real Estate Investor Association, the Fort Wayne RIA. Um, and he's been on Bigger Pockets as well, which is pretty cool, Bigger Pockets podcast. Um, so, again, if you want to learn more about him, please check out episode seven. So today we wanted to kind of talk about the current market that we're in. Um, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that this market is absolutely scorching just for reference for everyone. So in March, we had uh, 0.5 months of inventory, like a half a month of inventory. And what that means is basically six months is considered balanced. And so meaning if no new homes came on the market, if it took six months to sell off what we have, that'd be considered balanced and we have a half month. So we're in a very extreme seller's market right now. So I, you know, I'm a retail guy. Um, you know, Heather on my team does some, some investing stuff, but I'm buying by and large retail. So I kind of wanted to get your take on a few things. Um, so where are you at right now? Are you still looking to buy? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we really have never stopped. Um, we continue to, to market pretty heavily. Um, we, we let everyone that we talk to know that we're, we're definitely still on the market for sure. Okay. And what type of opportunities are you focusing right now? Like flipping, wholesaling? Is there like a certain thing you're looking for or marketing towards? Sure. So there's kind of two things that I'm looking for. As I have gotten into 2021, um, I have some very specific goals about what I'd like to hit as far as the number of um, single family homes or maybe nice small multifamily. Um, those are super hard to come across even before the market got hot though. Um, so uh, definitely still looking for single family houses. Um, for me, I try to buy most of those. I keep them in my rental portfolio. If it doesn't meet my criteria to hold, uh, then I will consider flipping it if it's a pretty light lift. Um, if it's pretty labor intense, then I will wholesale that or sell it off to somebody else who's, you know, whose skill set is is stronger uh, in that niche than me. Um, but the other thing in 2021 that I've been doing is I've really started exploring commercial real estate, um, kind of on a small basis. But um, I acquired my first commercial property, um, well, this month, earlier this month, and nice. we're analyzing. Um, I'm making myself analyze at least one deal a week, and we put a couple other offers out. Okay. Uh, and why, are, why do you like to focus on single family? Like, you know, I feel like a lot of people you hear, especially on bigger pockets, like they say to stay away from single family. Why, why do you like that? Sure. Um, so at least here in Fort Wayne, single family works. And, you know, the, the, the cost to rent ratio is, is fantastic. You can buy that $100,000 house and rent it for 1200, 1300, kind of depends on which school district you're in and, and what sort of amenities you have. Um, but those sort of rentals have worked really, really well for me. Um, 
I didn't buy them, you know, three, four, five years ago, anticipating appreciation because we don't get a whole lot of appreciation in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. But now all of a sudden, you know, that three bedroom, one and a half bath that I bought for 75 is now all of a sudden worth 160, you know? And so for now, as long as the cost to rent ratio still makes sense, um, we're, we're going to keep chipping away at them. Yeah. We were talking about that off air. There was one that hit the market in the Oh five last night. I showed it listed at 149. There was seven, it was a three one. So only one bathroom was upstairs. There was, I think seven other groups there and there was more groups coming in as I left. So there was probably like 20, 25 people there on the first night, which is just wild. Um, yeah. So where are you finding these deals? Like, you know, cause I feel like, you know, the, you, the kind of the, the rhetoric you're hearing is like, there's no good deals. You yeah. know, I think investors yeah. have been saying that and lamenting that for a while, especially now. So how are you finding deals? Yeah. You hear it all the time. There's no deals left. You know, I can't find a deal. And I can't remember if I said this in your last uh, episode or not, but um, even more so today, I would tell you that good deals are not found in a market like this. Good deals are created in a market like this. And so I think probably more so than ever, um, you need to kind of be a savvy individual um, to know where to look for such things. So we do a lot of marketing um, directly to uh, people who may want to sell their house. Um, we, we have, um, you know, some of it's mail, some of it's online, um, and we have a genuine interest in wanna, wanting to help people with whatever issue they come up with. Um, and, and we've had a lot of success with that. I've had a lot of sellers, you know, give me a hug at the closing table or, you know, just thank you profusely. And, and it's, it's nice to be able to uh, find a win for them, a win for us, a win for the community and, and all of that. So um, I, if you're looking on the MLS, you're probably not going to find it. Um, but, you know, telling everyone, you know, and, and marketing, I think directly to people is at least how we have found some success recently. Okay. And can you kind of put me on the spot a little bit, but would you mind sharing a specific example of like where you kind of created a deal that way someone can maybe say, all right, I can try that myself. Sure. No, that's, that's a really good question. Um, yes. So recently we had someone who found us on our website. Um, they reached out and said, uh, I was born in this house. Uh, I've lived here my whole life. Um, it's in decent shape, but it needs some work. I'm not skilled, but I want to move my family out to a different school system. So um, they had a number that they wanted. We had a number that we wanted. We kind of met in the middle and they felt great about that. Now, that was probably four months ago. In the last four months, uh, let me see, we, we bought it for about 75. It was worth probably 110 after we put about $8,000 into it. So had a good equity position. Um, but we rented it short term to a family who just needed a house before their build was finished. And by the time they moved out, that house had appreciated another 25,000, I think, that, you know, once the appraisal came back. And so what we did is we wound up selling that house on land contract. And so basically I'm in it for, you know, 80, 85,000 and it's for sale on land contract now for, I think 125, I'd have to go back and look at our numbers, but um, that's just a good example of that seller didn't necessarily have, he, he wasn't overly distressed. He wasn't in a rush, but, um, it just needed work and he didn't want to do it. And so we were able to partner on it. Very nice. Okay. That's great. And then, um, so kind of shifting, you know, talking about how hot this is and the appreciation that we've been seeing, 
What are some concerns that you have with this market, if any? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so like I mentioned, we host the, the local real estate investors association and Adam Beckstadt helps me out with that a lot. Um, he and I have been talking to the group for a long time about, Hey, the market's strong. It's, it's getting bigger and bigger and faster and, and growing. And so now's a good time. If you can set up your lines of credit and things like that, go ahead and do that. Start storing up cash because something's going to change, right? Well, what's when it gives, what is that going to look like? And I would have told you a year ago, you know, maybe not a housing crash like we saw in 08, but I think we're all kind of looking for this bubble to burst. And um, I, I think we are quick to assume that because that's what we remember last. Like mm -hmm. you and I are old enough to remember that, but we don't really remember, you know, the early 80s, late 70s, where interest rates just went crazy and all of that. So given all the money that we pumped into the economy, I'm far more inclined to tell you that we're not necessarily going to see a market fallout, but uh, runaway inflation, um, and maybe not runaway, but um, notably more inflation than we've seen in times past, which is um, has its own challenges. But I don't think people will feel like it's an economic crisis because they bought a house for two hundred thousand and it quickly jumps to three hundred. Well, it just feels like all the values went up, right? Yeah. It's not till downstream once you realize oh, my, my loaf of bread also went up to 350, you know? Mm. Um, so that's kind of what I'm watching for. I, but I'm not necessarily nervous. Like we're setting on the precipice of something dangerous, especially here in, in the Midwest and particularly Fort Wayne. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I mean, I, it feels like once a week, someone asks me about like, do you think a crash is coming? Do you think a crash yeah. is coming? And I think, I think the easy thing is, well, it went up fast. So now it's got to come down. What I tell people is obviously no one has a crystal ball, but I mean, we're, you, we were talking off air. There's so much cash, you know, all these deals are being, mm -hmm. not all, but many, many deals are being bought with cash where, you know, eight, you could get four houses, no money down. So, you know, when things turn, people didn't have any equity and they walked. Well, now if you want to buy your second house, you're doing it with 20, 25% down and maybe twice the interest rate or this, all this cash position. So I think, while who knows what's going to happen, I think it's a totally different animal than what we were dealing with then. Um, yeah. But the inflation is definitely a good point. So how are you hedging against this or how are you preparing? Yeah, yeah, really good question. So so what I've done is, like I mentioned before, um, I did start, um, sorry, my phone rang. Um, <clears throat> I have started to set up my lines of credit. I've got one for my business. I've got a personal line of credit that'll help me to buy those cash deals. So I don't have to necessarily go to the bank. Um, but the other thing is if you're worried about inflation, you really don't have that much to worry about unless you have huge piles of money sitting in a bank where if they inflate, then your dollar is just less powerful. If you can take those dollars and put them into meaningful assets uh, and maybe that's gold or precious metals or jewels or a business or real estate or something that has intrinsic value, regardless of what happens to that, the power of the dollar, you still have something that's uh, of value. Um, so right now, um, you know, I still do my 401k and, and some of those nuts and bolts types of things, but I don't do anything with the money markets um, other than my 401k match. Um, most everything is real estate right now. And then the other thing is I'm working really hard to lock in some of these historically low interest rates. Um, you know, we have, I think like 43, 44 rentals here in town. And 
Um, we're refinancing a fair number of them just to, you know, go down from 6% down to, you know, four or four and a quarter, something like that, um, while we can. Because if I can lock in that debt for a long time, just helps my cash flows that much more. Okay. And to kind of drill down for maybe some newbies or people who didn't catch that, you said you're trying to line up lines of credit. Is that mm-hmm. with the expectation that if something changes, you've already got it and you don't, like if, if let's say things take a downturn, you've already got your lines of credit in hand versus like, oh crap, I got to run out and try to do this real fast so I can move. Is that what you're saying? Well, what I always tell folks is you want to make sure you have cash in hand. You always want to have at least six months worth of however much money it takes to pay all your rents and all your overhead for your investment business. And so we do have cash set aside, but for the sake of um, my future purchases, you know, new um, sellers that we might work with, I'm just, I just want to have access to lines of, of uh, credit or uh, potential cash. And I have more availability to do that now because that $100,000 house that I bought once upon a time is now worth 180 and I can tap into that equity. That doesn't mean I'm going to take the money out, but I can have it ready mm-hmm. whenever I'm, I'm ready to strike on the next deal. Okay. So just kind of loading the can and then. Yep. Okay. And then how does that work if you know, let's say it does go down and, and values decrease, do you still have access to that? Or can the bank change the terms on that? How does that work? Yeah, it's a really good question. And the, the important thing to know is especially with lines of credit, the bank can shut them off just like that. I mean, they can call them due um, pretty much whenever they want. And so it's important that if you're going to pull from that line of credit, uh, maybe to buy a house that you are going to work to sell that house or provide those funds back um, pretty quickly, you know, and, and I mentioned, you know, you want to have your cash reserves. You don't want to use your line of credit as your security blanket mm-hmm. because the bank could pull that security blanket and, and you not have access to it anymore. So if um, you, if you spend it, you would be looking to then pay it off as soon as possible or how, how would that work? Yep. So let's say, for example, and I'm going to just make up theoretical numbers, right? Let's say that I've got a line of credit for $200,000 and I find uh, a house that's worth $100,000. I can buy it for eighty dollars if I've got cash. Well, what I'll do is I'll take $80,000. i will go buy that property. Um, and so let's say it's a good deal. I'm going to do one of two things. I'll either rent it or I will flip it. If I'm going to rent it, then I go straight to the bank. Uh, even before I close on it and say, hey, I'm going to buy 123 Smith Street. I'm going to use my line of credit to do that. But I'd like you to set up a longer term loan. Once I get it rehabbed, once I get a tenant in there, once it's stabilized. Um, and so then they will provide a loan on that. I can then take the money that they give me from the loan, pay my line of credit off. If you go the other path and you're going to flip it, then you know you do your rehabs, you put it on the market. In this market, it's going to sell before you ever put a sign in the yard. And um, then you pay down your line of credit. But I'm oversimplifying it. And you, you should always have multiple exit strategies. I don't want to make it sound like it's super easy and you can always count on that. But um, that's at least the, the premise behind what we're doing. No, that, that's perfect. That's kind of what I was getting at. I just wanted people to hear the mechanics on that. So if they do have equity positions and they want to be able to capitalize on it. So when you go to the bank, then you tell them I'm going to do this and you kind of, do you get like a verbal or do you actually make a loan application? Like how, what's the mechanics on that for get you know, backing sure. your money back out? Yeah. When it comes to the bank, the relationship's really important. And so I would tell folks, even if you don't have a deal in hand, take the time to start building relationships um, on the commercial lending side, not necessarily the, um, 
what would you call it? The mortgage side or residential type of loans on, on, mm-hmm. on that side. Um, commercial lenders have much more flexibility. And so I'm to the point now where I've got two or three of them. And when I get a house under contract, not only do I send that contract off to the title company to get it cooking, um, but we will also send it over to the bank so that they can review it and say, yes, we like this deal, no, we don't. And then I can just go to the next bank and the next bank and figure out which one's going to be the best fit for this asset. Have you ever had an issue where you couldn't get a loan to get your money back? Or are you getting good enough deals that you kind of know, like, all right, I've been doing this long enough. I know they're going to do it. Yeah. So all the more reason to make sure that you build that relationship on the front end so that you can have those discussions about, okay, if I find a $100,000 house, a $200,000 house, will how much will you lend? Will you loan just 65%? of the purchase price or 65% of the value? Will you cover some of the rehabs, things like that? So for me, I know what their expectations are, at least today, and they do change as the economy changes. Um, But I've got a pretty good idea of what to go shopping for and what to spend before I ever even ask them because we've had good conversations ahead of time. That's great. That's great info. And like you said, too, this isn't all the money that you have. So like, let's say, God forbid, you know, something changed, the market tanked, and you were had that line extended, I feel like you said you still have a cash position to cover yourself and like, you know, just make sure that you're protected. It's not like you're spreading yourself too thin. That's right. Okay, great. I didn't, I know I didn't send you those questions, but I kind of just thought that was interesting. So um, what, um, are you seeing any buying trends? Are you seeing anything that has you concerned? Um, And I'll say why I ask that is because I feel like I meet a new, you know, for people listening on audio, I'm kind of doing air quotes, but I meet like a flipper. I had one week where yeah. I met three people who told me they were getting into flipping and had never invested in their life. Yeah. Um, yep. And that's, you know, Hey, listen, this is America. Give it a shot. But it's just, right. it's a concerning trend where it seems like there's people chasing fast money um, and sure. maybe don't realize what they're getting themselves into. Is there anything that you're seeing that concerns you? Sure. Sure. Well, who doesn't like fast money, right? <laughs> Flipping's a piece of cake. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would second that. I think I see someone, I, just like you said, someone who wants to flip a house there, I get hit up, you know, multiple times every week, more than happy to help, uh, you know, come into the fold, come to the meetings. Let's talk about it. How can we help you get going? Um, I'm also a big believer and there are enough deals out there for everyone. If everyone's willing to really dig in and learn how to get creative, um, it is a tougher market. Um, But what's concerning for me is um, when I started five or six years ago, I purchased all of my properties and I put them on either a 15 or a 20 year note, and they still cash flowed on that type of mortgage. I didn't have to get a 30 year mortgage to make my payments less in order to make it cash flow. And what I've seen in the last 24 months is a ton of people, and I mean a ton of people, buying investment properties and putting 30-year notes on them. That in and of itself is not dangerous. It's not scary. It's not risky. Uh, Some of us do that out of strategy, but some folks are doing it at 30 years instead of a smaller amortization because it will not cash flow at 15 or 20, 30 is, that's as far as they can stretch it and just make cash flow. And for me, that's way too thin. Mm-hmm. So I would say there's a ton of new people in the game, uh, mostly because there's just so much money out there right now. I, we've just pumped the country so full of extra money that 
it's just coming out of, of every surface. And then I see, I see people paying top dollar uh, for rentals that, man, the margins are just, I, I wouldn't buy them. They're, they're deals that I wouldn't do. And I'm, I'm quick to tell people, if you want to do it, I'm not going to stop you, but here's why I wouldn't and try to take them through that. For sure. And I think part of that is having a strategy to begin with, you know, something I was talking about with my team. Um, for those who don't know, I have a real estate sales team and I was talking to, to Heather who does kind of our investment side. And she was like, man, you know, some of these deals. And I said, well, you also got to remember, not everyone is looking for top returns. You know, I know people, for example, I had a client in Florida who was a surgeon and he was just trying to buy some real estate to get some write-offs. Like he knew it wasn't the best Yep. deal on planet earth, but he thought, you know what, this market's appreciating. I'm going to do it. So yep. I, I agree. I think just having a strategy going in and knowing exactly what you're doing and, and sticking to it versus just trying to jump in the game because it's hot. Um, yep. You know, I think that's kind of the distinction that people need to make before they start wading in. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, we see tons of money coming in from the coasts because you can't buy anything in San Francisco or New York or some of these other markets. And maybe, a 6% return for them is better than they can get locally. And they like the, the tax benefits and maybe they're trying to hedge their bets against inflation as well. So they just want a real uh, tangible asset, something with intrinsic value. And for them, and that's not necessarily a bad idea. It just doesn't suit my model. I hear you. Yep. No, I get what you're saying. So, okay. So are you, have you sold any of your portfolio? Is there anything you're looking to offload while just locking these gains while you can? Yep. Not a single one. Um, I, now I might have flipped something or wholesaled something cause it didn't meet my criteria. Um, but I'm a buy and hold guy and I, it's not that I'll hold them forever, but if I sell them, then I got to go buy something else to replace mm -hmm. my cash flow. And yeah, I could sell ultra high and then sit on it for 12 months, 24 months, 36 months and wait for things to cool off. But I'm not convinced they're ever going to cool off. Mm -hmm. um, I know that seems uh, ignorant to say, you know, because we have peaks and valleys in every single market. Um, but Fort Wayne has been the most cost-effective real estate market in the country almost, mm -hmm. right? And so we might really be playing catch up um, kind of on an indefinite uh, timetable. If my stuff comes down, I'm still going to, I have paid it down so much over the years and it's not going to go down to the values that I purchased it at. So for me, I'm a cash flow guy and I want the tax benefits of owning rentals. So it does me no good to sell it, put all those dollars in the bank and then let inflation have their way with it. Sure. That makes perfect I'm, sense. I'm, I'm not selling much. Okay. And then I know this is, this is separate, but uh, I recently saw you guys with your apartment syndication in Phoenix, you did sell one of those, but was that what was the strategy yes. on that one? I know that's a different animal, but. Yeah, really good question. So we do apartment syndications in Phoenix and we buy um, nice, you know, multi hundred unit apartment complexes in that model. That is very specifically um, selling is part of the model. Um, we expect to buy and within five years reposition that asset uh, from kind of a non-performing to a highly performing kind of luxurious asset. And then we exit. Now we expect those to take five years. Um, the last couple, just because Phoenix has been so hot, we've exited in two years or less. Um, so that model has worked incredibly well. And so now we're on the hunt for the next one. Um, and we've got two, uh, you know, we, we've done five. Uh, we're, we're holding on to three. We've sold two and um, looking for the next. 
so you kind of began with the end in mind there. Like that was always part of the plan. It wasn't like, oh, it's hot, let's dump it. It was kind of like, this was what we thought was going to happen. And now we're exiting. Yeah, absolutely. We just thought it would take five years and it took less than two. Yeah, Phoenix is wild. I was out there. I was doing uh, foreclosure work out there back in 2010, nine, okay. 10. And like, you couldn't give a house away back then. That was right. That right. was wild. Now I'm here. It's back to you can't find one. So yep. um, you kind of touched on commercial. I was going to I was going to ask you, are you looking at anything industrial or commercial in the area? Yeah. So I would love to do big multifamily and I'd like to do it here uh, right here at home. But one, we don't have lots of apartment complexes and the ones we do have are massive. Right. There's not a lot of 32 units, 52 units, things like that. Um, so since those are so unbelievably hard to come across and very saturated, um, I've started exploring other value add type of real estate investing and things that can be triple net leases, double net leases, basically where you own it and the tenants are taking care of essentially everything. Um, so I have started looking at commercial. Um, I, I haven't jumped too deep into industrial, but I do like some of the industrial flex buildings we did make a big offer on one didn't get it but um so yeah we, we're exploring it for sure yeah i was talking with uh, steve zacker of zacker company and he was telling me industrial in new haven so for any speculators out there he was telling uh telling us that new haven might be a good opportunity in the industrial space okay but, but um you, you just recently bought commercial right is that like you had something yeah. downtown i think i saw yeah, we, we bought our first commercial building. It was one of my, my five big goals for 2021. Um, so really focused on it, let people know what I was looking for. Um, and it's a small deal. Um, you know, it's, what is it worth? It, we'll find out once we're done rehabbing it and, and get a tenant in there and all that. But my guess is $200,000, maybe 220, something like that. Um, but we acquired it for 150 and it probably needs 20 to 30 in work, something like that. Um, it is right in the area, kind of a path of progress type of mm -hmm. play where phase three of the riverfront district oh, nice. um, is coming through downtown. And so um, in the meanwhile, it'd make a great auto body shop, um, warehouse, there's a little office space up front. Um, it, it'll suit someone really, really well. We've got a nice um, fenced in bullpen next door. Um, so all sorts of storage and things that way. So cleaning it up right now, the exterior needs some work. Uh, we're going to repaint the office, put some new floors in and things like that, but then we'll be listing and, and looking to rent that out. That's great. And for those who don't know, uh, Riverfront phase three is just West of Promenade Park, like towards like main street or what, what was that? Uh, what bridge is that there? I'm drawing a blank on the name, but um, just, just West of Promenade there. Yep. Um, yep. You got it. And do you have any concerns about, you know, we're kind of seeing a shift to working remote, um, mm -hmm. you know, which I think is a big part of the reason Fort Wayne is seeing some of this boom, um, you know, just people can now move to less expensive areas and stuff like that. But do you have concerns getting into commercial and office and retail type space with that trend kind of coming aboard? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, that's the main driver why some of my criteria centers around, um, I, I really don't want any non-essential office uh, type of retail. Um, medical offices would be fine. Um, certain types of storefronts, if it's you know multiple types of tenants, if, if good leases are in place, or if it's a nice value add opportunity, that's kind of what I think I have at the downtown site. Because I think the value of the ground will eventually uh, go up. But with all the downtown development, you're losing a lot of these little you know, just little shops, little small places where 
you know, maybe someone just needs a warehouse or they need to park a couple of trucks overnight or things like that. And there's only so much space downtown, you know? Um, so that's kind of my play on that front. I, I really am not looking to acquire too much just office space. I think it's going to be kind of that industrial flex or maybe commercial that could have lots of different um, okay. options with it. So kind of a niche investing. I like that. I've actually never heard anyone say that, but that's pretty clever. Just trying to find something small that maybe like a boutique type place, or like you said, a couple trucks or something like that, or mechanic right. downtown. That's, that's interesting. Well, and the other thing is, you know, you look at industrial or commercial and it's most places are 1 million, 5 million. I mean, they just get to be astronomical and I'm not that guy yet. I can't, I can't swing that, but $150,000 lets me kind of cut my teeth. I can learn what that sort of leasing looks like, what those tenants need. And, you know, even if it doesn't go quite the way I think that it will, um, there's enough margin or, or at least security in a smaller deal, comparatively speaking, that I, that I should be okay. All right. Uh, and what is, what's an overlooked investment opportunity that you think is flying under the radar? People aren't taking enough advantage of. Well, that's a really good one. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to come up with a great answer with it. I think I, I see a lot of creative things happening. Like, you know, Heather does a lot of the Airbnb stuff. It, for me, that model scares me to death. Uh, not because it doesn't work. Like I see her and other people just crushing it and it's, mm -hmm. and it's fantastic. Um, I have seen some interesting things on the commercial front, kind of like I'm, I'm mentioning with this building, you know, all the different things I can do with it. It's because I've spent time with people doing, you know, some of these, some of these different things. Um, there's so many people coming at investing right now. I mm -hmm. think, I don't know that there's a niche, at least that I'm aware of mm -hmm. that we're completely, completely missing. Yeah. I would say if, I, if I'm picking up on a theme, it's thinking outside the box and getting creative. I feel like that's almost everything you said is like not doing the cookie cutter, you know, type stuff that people are doing and trying to be creative and create deals is kind of what yeah. I'm Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting because someone brought me a deal just a night or two ago and it is the coolest property I've ever seen. And I'd love to buy it with them, but what am I going to do with it? Like, I just, I don't know that I'm the most creative guy. Like my success has come from little base hits based on investing fundamentals. And we've done some creative things to get the deals, but we rent the houses and we're going to rent the commercial space. I don't know that we're going to revolutionize, you know, some, some new idea. Um, I'm sure there are opportunities for people who are more creative uh, than I, but when the market gets super, super hot and everyone's coming at it, I'm inclined to tell people, you know, get creative with how you find those properties, but you still need to invest with sound fundamentals. That's, that's awesome. Especially like you said, little base hits where I feel like a lot of people jump in, like, you know, like these flippers we talk about, and I don't mean to keep singling them out. I just, I hear it yeah. so much. Um, yeah. And then I feel like a lot of people are looking for home runs or, you know, they think they're going to make these huge chunks of cash, which they, which they might, you know, they might, but I don't know. I, I think like you, like you said, you've kind of built a career and a reputation on just consistently getting base hits and building reputation. I mean, you've talked relationships with banks relationships with other investors, relationships with contractors. I think I just want to make sure that I'm like really making that clear to everyone that, you know, we're both, we think it's both built on relationships, foundations, and fundamentals versus like, this is hot. You should get in, you know, yeah. type of thing. Yeah. You mentioned at the beginning, everyone's looking for the fast money. And I would tell you the people who really do well in real estate understand that this is a get rich, slow type of 
process. And, and it takes a lot of hard work on the front end. It'll pay dividends down the road. You know, I'm, I'm staring down the barrel of 40 this year. I've been doing it five years and it's added a little bit of comfort to my life, but it's a lot of work. I, I probably won't be where I want to be until I'm, you know, mid to late forties, maybe fifties, because my game is slow and powerful later downstream. So to each their own though. Sure. Sure. So regarding electric works, uh, the new river North project, I'm sure you're familiar with that one with the soccer stadium and all that. Yeah. Um, very exciting. Um, very, uh, very polarizing in a way, but we'll, we'll steer clear of that. Um, all of the big projects have been polarizing parking yeah. field, downtown renovation, GE electric, like all of it's polarizing. Sure. Sure. A lot of moving parts, but how are you factoring these projects into your investment strategy? Yeah, good question. Uh, if you're, let's take General Electric um, or Electric Works for an example. Um, I own three properties directly across the street, but I bought them a couple of years ago. Um, they were a little speculative, but I knew that I could rent them. And they, if if GE never took off, then it never took off, and we'd be fine. Um, I would tell you if you're looking to capitalize on Electric Works, you've probably missed the boat, um, at least for you know, the, the lots across the street or, you know, the mm -hmm. big sale. Now, maybe there's some commercial opportunities in and around. Um, I don't want to say there's not opportunity there, um, but I think you need to be cautious. If you're buying four blocks from it, there's a lot of rough neighborhood and, and rough houses there. So just be cautious. However, you had mentioned the soccer fields, um, like, like I'm buying in what will be the third uh, phase of the riverfront district. I think if you will take the time to start talking to people in the community and, and city planners and things like that, you can, a lot of it's available online. You can just see where things are going. Um, not where they're already happening. Like if there's a crane there, you've probably missed the opportunity, but if you can look and see what's coming two, three, five years down the road, again, it's a slow game for the most part. And you, and you have to be patient. I think that's how you capitalize on some of those opportunities. Sure. Yeah, I uh, I kick myself. So there was a duplex right across the street from GE. This was probably, I don't know, four years ago. And yeah. it was listed at 35. And I went back and forth with the guy. And I'm like, I'm not paying a penny over 30. And now yeah. it's probably worth So I didn't get it. And now it's probably worth like 80, 100. I don't, I don't even know now. Yeah, but, if it's right across the street, you'd get six figures for it. Yeah, I don't La, 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 la. So. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> um. Cool. Well, this was awesome. I, you know, with this hot market, I think the underlying theme to me was fundamentals. Don't be overly speculative, or if you do like, at least know that and acknowledge it going in. Um, I'd encourage everybody to join the Fort Wayne RIA, especially even if you're out of town, they do the, the meetings um, on zoom and you can ask questions or listen to people who are in the game. You know, it's, it's similar to bigger pockets where it's people who are in the game, sharing their war stories, sharing advice. You have special guests every week. So um, just want to make sure, you know, everybody knows that there are resources out there and there are places to network. Um, so I end every episode with asking people, what's their favorite thing about living in Fort Wayne? But since you've done that, I'm going to flip it. What's your favorite thing about investing in Fort Wayne? Sure. You know, I mean, it's nice that I'm from here. Um, I believe in the city. I really do have a, a passion to see the community do well. Um, you know, it's easy for people to say, especially people like me who market to sellers, you know, we, we do want to help them with their problems, but we want to come in and we want to take that derelict house in the neighborhood and make it beautiful again and uh, kind of give life back to 
um, neighborhoods and things like that. And so it's, it's really nice to be in the community that we get to do that. And, um, you know, it makes me excited that my, you know, we're bringing up our kids here and we have four of them. May, they may not all stay, but um, it's nice to just kind of continue to build a nice community for folks to be in. And there's so much happening here. Like it's totally different than when you and I were kids, like it's fun to be downtown, man. I mean, it's, it's just a whole different thing. And so it's exciting to just get to be a part of all that. That's great. And, you know, I think you're, you're doing in the investing space, what I am attempting to do in the retail space, which is, you know, try to be an example of, you know, ethics, doing the right thing. You know, I feel like real estate agents get such a bad rap and often deservedly so. And I feel like so to investors. And I feel yeah. like what I like the most about you guys, you know, you, Adam, the whole, the whole crew is you're trying to show people you're, first of all, the transparency, you're trying to show people like what you're doing. I mean, you've been very forthright even today, but also just, you know, calling out, you know, I've seen on the Facebook page where you respectfully called out people that you didn't think were doing the right thing, not by name, but just saying, Hey, you know, this behavior will not be tolerated type of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think just setting a standard. So, um, you know, keep up the good work, man, you're doing the right thing for the city. Um, how can, can people connect with you if they want to you know, kind of follow what you're doing, follow your business sure. moves. How can they connect? Yeah, I appreciate that. So uh, I recently started a YouTube channel. Um, if you if you search the flying investor, that's me. I fly paramotors and do all sorts of crazy stuff and just have a couple of episodes out. We're just getting started on that. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at the flying investor, or you can find me on Facebook. Um, send me a message, connect. I'll, I'll do everything I can to help get you plugged in and get you rolling. I forgot about the paramotor. You're a maniac, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. My mom doesn't like watching the YouTube videos because it scares her to death. Yeah. My mom was an ER nurse. I'd probably give her a heart attack if she did. If yeah. She saw me doing yeah. that. But, uh, you know, you only live once, man. You, you got to enjoy it. And you might as well fly. Uh, it looks much scarier than it really is, but it's, yeah. it's a good time. That's awesome. Well, Drew, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. I know you're well-respected. Everyone I talk to appreciates what you're doing. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. I, I'm excited to come back for round three. You let me know when you're ready. Absolutely. If there's All a right. crash or something, then we'll definitely have you back and we'll be like, yeah. see, we said there was a crash. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. All right. Take care, Drew. Yep. Thanks very much. See you.